Several years ago, I was flying an airplane and had one of these bags with uh, pockets that were a little bit too big. The problem was that when I landed and got home, I had trouble finding my cell phone. I thought, you know, what has happened to my cell phone? It's been a week looking for it, you know, looking underneath car seats, underneath couches, and finally came to the conclusion that it must have been in that bag somewhere fallen out in one of the overhead bins on the airplane. Pretty well just given up all hope on ever seeing that phone again. So I went with a little bit of relish to the uh, cell phone store and thought, let's get the latest uh, model here. And, you know, so, you know, guys, we like to have a good excuse to, to get something new like that. And so we, I picked out a phone and uh, purchased it and, and got it working. And about the first full week, I got a package uh, from someone I didn't know. Evidently, some kind soul found the phone on the airplane and mailed it back to me, and now I have two extra phones. And so, you know, what would you do differently with hindsight? If you could just go back, how much money would we have saved if we could have had hindsight in our life? Just this past week, I signed up on a health club, and I uh, called the one that I originally uh, signed up on, and, and they were getting too, uh, too long and building their place. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm getting out. I'm signed in this new one. And they said, oh, we're going to start up on Wednesday. I thought, oh, well, too bad. I've already uh, gone up in another health club. And I thought, with just hindsight, if I'd just known these things in advance, it would have saved me so much money and extra uh, time. But you know what? We don't have that luxury. Well, we're going to look at a story this morning, Genesis 16, that in hindsight we realize, hey, these people made some serious mistakes. If they could have known uh, then what we know now, how they would have changed their minds. And so we're going to look at this story and we're going to find some important lessons. We're going to find a couple that have been waiting. They've been waiting a long time for God to move in their life. And they're trying to make a decision. Should we take initiative or should we wait? Have you ever been there? When you're trying to decide, is it better for me just to sit and wait on this and see how details work out and how the Lord will do things? Or should I go ahead and make a decision, make initiative, and maybe this is the Lord's working in doing that? I think that's probably a situation most of us have been in or can understand. That's where we find Abram and Sarah. And as we look at this story, maybe we can learn some principles on on deciding between waiting and working, initiating, uh, and, and what we should be doing. And so, uh, Genesis chapter 16 is where we find ourselves. And uh, let's just stand as we read this together in honor of this being God's word to us, this precious story here. Verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord's judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah 
dealt hardly with her. She fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? She said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked, and after here after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Be'er Laharoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. You may be seated. All right, as we look back, we realize now that Ishmael was a notable birth. This was a notable pregnancy. Uh, there's a reason it's called pregnancy in Arabia, because Ishmael's descendants were the ones who settled the land of Arabia. Uh, they are as often referred to as the father of Arabs, though technically that's not uh, totally true, because we would lump Egyptians and some of the others within the Arab group, though at this time Egyptians already existed. So there is a certain group of Arabs that Ishmael is the father of those primarily in Arabia, thus we know Saudi Arabia. In fact, uh, Muhammad uh, of the uh, Muslim origin uh, says that Ishmael is his own ancestor. And so we find from Ishmael's line, the Arabic groups, those that started the Muslim uh, religion, came from Ishmael. And as we see in this prophecy, it seems to be very true to this day when Scripture says, Uh, In verse 12, that he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. That has been generally true throughout history among this Arabic group, uh, that there is still uh, much tension between Israel, uh, the Israelites, uh, the Hebrews, as well as with the Arabics, um, those who are Muslims. And we find that they are a source of contention. They do cause problems, and they have throughout history. And so this is just something that we see all the way going back to Genesis 16. And so we would say, in hindsight, Abraham, Sarah, you know, knowing that someday you'd have Isaac, that this probably was not a good thing. The problem is they didn't know that. They didn't know that they were going to have an Isaac. If they had lived by faith, perhaps, maybe they would have known these things. But they've been waiting 10 years. 10 years in Canaan since the first promise. And... That's been recently stated, uh, discovered that guys have biological clocks too. Isn't Who knew that? That's, you know, guys have biological clocks too. Abram had a biological clock. Sarah certainly had a biological clock. And you think, uh, you know, my wife told me uh, that she, she had a timeline, you know, certain things that she wanted done. And by 30, she wanted to have her, her children. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> you know what? Well, she's 70-some. You know, Sarah's 70-some. Uh, she's long past 30, long past 40. She's up there. Abram is 86. Uh, yes, they are well past the normal age of having children. And you got to think, you know what time this child is? 20? 
uh, Abram's 106. And, you know, how do you play ball with someone like that? You know, these are some of the things that you know, we think of. And I would think that maybe Abram and Sarah perhaps would have been thinking such as well. And so, looking at this and how this came about, there are four main characters. We're going to look at each character. Uh, it's not just Sarah's fault. It's not just Abram's fault. Everybody here contributed to what we would call a presumptuous act that was done. What does, what does that mean? Simply, Abram, Sarah, Hagar, all of the family, all the groups got together and they got ahead of God. All right? They got ahead of God. So we're going to look at the different voices that were used, the different characters in this incident. First, we have Sarah. She's the first one that, that we are, is introduced to us. Uh, the Bible simply says, verse 1, she had borne him no children. And that day and time, that was quite a curse. Culturally, it was expected for the, the wives to bring children, to bring a name, to bring a son to the husband. In fact, there is a uh, rabbinical tradition that goes back to this time, uh, that refers back to this time, and states that if there is not a child within 10 years of marriage, that was grounds for divorce. Uh, or to get another wife so that there would be children. And so you see that 10-year number given uh, various places in this chapter and for a reason. Uh, and so Abram's wife, Sarah, is feeling, she feels cursed. She feels like maybe I am not as good as others. She explains this, verse 2. She says, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. That was an accurate observation on her part. The problem is what she interpreted from that. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15 and 16 says that uh, there are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with the water, and the fire never says enough. There is something within women that desire to have children, and Sarah was no exception within this, and that she had a great desire for this. And so she goes on and says, you know, Lord, shut me off. And so she has an interpretation. Maybe this means we've got to do this. And this is what she suggests. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now, this is a stunning revelation for us. I mean, who says that? <laughs> Whoever, I mean, whatever wife makes that suggestion, you know, that's just something we don't do uh, in this day and time normally. Okay, uh, we don't say, hey, you know what, there's this great co-worker, maybe, uh, you know, there, there could be children there. That just, you know, it doesn't work. But in that day and time, that was a culturally acceptable thing to do. Uh, you got to keep in mind, uh, they don't have the revealed word of God as we do. There is the Genesis 2 principle and order where God made one man, one woman, Adam and Eve. And in so doing, we find later in the New Testament, it often harkens back to Genesis 2 as the guiding principles for marriage. One man, one woman uh, together. And they have that. Uh, but Abram's dealing with cultural pressure, wife pressure, uh, his own pressure. And, uh, you know, he's, he starts to, to weaken on this deal. Sarah brings this up. Uh, and this is her, her desire. Now, let's look at this, okay? What's the problem here? First of all, she has the right goal. I mean, after all, didn't God himself tell him in Genesis 12 that they would have children? I mean, having a, a goal like that was in God's design. It was in his will. The problem was not her goal. The problem was her motive. 
The problem was her motive as well as the method itself. The motive was this. It was not one out of faith that I believe that God can do these things. She was telling herself and telling Abram, God can't do this, therefore I must do this. Friends, when you tell yourself that God can't do something, you're already in trouble. You're already committed heresy in your own mind. When you tell yourself that God can't do something, and when you operate out of that assumption, you are operating on faulty grounds. Okay? Faulty grounds. But that's what she's operating. So she's not operating out of faith, but out of fear. Fear is her motive. She's saying, you know what? I, I need to catch up with all these other ladies. We need to have a child. And so she starts working out of this pressure instead of faith. In fact, Romans chapter 14 says that whatever is not of faith is sin. It's sin. So when we have a motivation that do something that's not of faith but of fear, that is a bad mark. A bad mark. The, the other problem is that she's trying to do God's job. That's the, that's the problem. What is presumption? Sarah is the voice of presumption for us in this story, all right? What is presumption? In this case, presumption is going outside of your bounds of authority. Going outside of your bounds of authority. God's told him, I'm going to produce a child through Abram, all right? Sarah's his wife. You are to assume that's going to happen through that. She doesn't assume that, though. Uh, so, what if I told you, all right, God said that you guys need to make some rain, <laughs> What would you do? Okay, let's make some rain. Let's get a bunch of buckets, put on an airplane. Maybe we dump it in the clouds. Maybe, you know, we get some rain going, you know. It doesn't make any sense for us to to say we're going to make rain. But nonetheless, that's kind of the fact that God's telling Sarah, you're going to have a child. Or God's telling Abram, you're going to have a child. You're 86, your wife's in the 70s. It's going to happen. That is a divine work. But she takes divine work and makes it her work. Listen, here's the application, all right? You've got to resign from being general manager of the universe. All right? It is not us to do God's work. What's God's work? Let me just tell you one thing. Changing people. (laughs) That's not your work. Changing people is something God does. You can't change people's hearts. God does that. Now, you've got to understand, that's frustrating for me as a pastor. I mean, I want to change people's hearts all the time. But I can't change anybody's hearts. I have a hard time changing my heart. God does that work. So what do I do? I love and I'm faithful to what God's told me to do. I, love, I would long for my child, my children to have hearts like I want them to have. I wish I could change their attitudes sometimes. And I try to tell them. I say, you know what? You need to go back in your room. Don't come out till you're happy, all right? You know, go to your happy room. That, you know, it takes a long time. I, I, I try to do that, but it's not me that can change my children. What do I do? I love them. I love them. I show them a godly example. And I teach them God's word. Whether they receive it or not, that's up to the Lord. It's up to them. I pray that God would change their hearts, but it's there is God's job. It's not my job. Do you understand that? We get confused when we think that we are to do what God alone can do. Sarah stepped outside of her bounds. 
Having a child in your 70s or when your husband's almost 90, that's God's job. Don't try to manipulate it with your method. So her motive was wrong and her method was wrong. And so what does that tell us? One, make sure our motivation is one out of faith, not fear. And also make sure that we are working within God's clear responsibility and authority that he's given us. Now, here's one good thing, knowing that, that we're to operate within God's responsibility and authority that he's given to us. You know what Matthew 28, 19, 20 says? All authority has been given to me. (laughs) Therefore, go, make disciples. Make disciples. Teach them all things that Jesus taught me, baptizing them. You know what that tells me? I have authority and responsibility given by God to share the gospel and to go anywhere to share the gospel. That's a wonderful thing. God's just given me a blank check to uh, share the gospel and make disciples for, for the Lord. Now, Sarah is the voice of presumption, of stepping outside of her bounds. But let's go on to Abram. Abram, as we get to the end of chapter uh, verse 2, is the voice of passivity. All right? Abram is the voice of passivity. Notice, in verse 2 and verse 3, there is, I think the writer of Genesis is writing this in a very similar grammatical uh, passage as what we find in Genesis, where Eve leads Adam away and disobeys God by eating of the fruit. You'll find it very similar. It says, Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. You find that same grammatical where, Jesus, where Eve took the fruit and gave to her husband, and the husband uh, ate of that fruit. Same grammatical situation. And the, and the point of it is this. The Abram is following Sarah at this point. Now, what should Abram have done? Well, <laughs> he hears the word of Sarai, and he just obeys. There's no mention of praying. There's no mention of saying, okay, Sarah, I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and then I'm going to bring this up to the Lord and ask the Lord about this. He just blindly leads Sarai, or follows Sarai, and the voice and the direction that she goes. Now, there is some problems with this. Now, guys, imagine this situation, all right? Brings Hagar, who is Egyptian. Where did, where did she come from anyway? Very likely, she was brought to Abram and Sarah when they went down to Egypt. And Abram lied about Sarah, his wife, and said that she's my sister. And she's brought into the harem of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was so thrilled about this and gave gifts, uh, oxen, and made our servants male and female. Very likely, Hagar came from Pharaoh. That being, that being understood, she was probably young. Right? And coming from Pharaoh, she probably was pretty attractive. All right, guys. What do you do? (laughs) Trick question. Trick question. All right. Your wife comes up to you. It's culturally acceptable. And she says, you know, we're not having children. Here. Here's my, my servant. Now, Abram's gotten every check. He's gotten every check. From cultural, from his wife. Here's what you need to understand. Not everything that is acceptable to man is acceptable to God. 
What does it matter if his wife says it's okay, if cultural says it's okay, if God does not say it's okay? Guys, just because it's on network TV doesn't mean you need to be watching it. All right? Just because it's acceptable in our society does not mean it's acceptable to God. Now, I personally think this is one of those questions that Sarah's asking. And she's really hoping for a different answer. All right? You know, wives do this every once in a while. And the reason I know this is because of Sarah's reaction. You know, we, we have this uh, Abram just being passive about it. Okay, Sarah, whatever. And so they have uh, a night together and a child is, is conceived. And then we see Hagar's reaction. And then Sarah, notice in verse 5, Sarah said, Abram, I kind of feel for Abram a little bit. He says, my wrong be upon you. I give my maiden to your embrace. And when she saw it, she conceived. I become despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. All right? Kind of feel for him a little bit here. He can't win. He can't win. What's the problem? I think that Sarah probably didn't want Abram to be with Hagar. Girls do this every once in a while, you know. I was looking at buying a scooter a few weeks ago. I had some extra money. I was like, man, I want a scooter. I want to get a scooter. I asked Julie, I was like, hey, can I get a scooter? She's like, it's your money. <laughs> let you know right then, you know. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I got permission. And I was like, then she started talking about how we need a, a new, new camera so we can take pictures of heaven. I was like, oh, man, you know. Uh, but uh, listen, I don't have a scooter, okay? But you got to listen to clues every once in a while. You got to listen to clues. But here is Sarah saying, all right, go ahead and have Hagar. And then when it happens, she says, Lord, judge between you and me. You did this wrong to me. But it was wrong. It was wrong. What was the problem? Abram was passive. He was not being a leader. And consulting these things to God. It is his job to make that decision, and he is accountable before God. And he does not. He is passive in his leading. What does that tell us? One... We need to be cautious about undertaking a work that appeals to fleshly appetites. Every once in a while someone says to me, you know, I just don't believe that God would have me to stay in this relationship because I am so miserable in it. After all, wouldn't God want me to be happy? You know, the only problem with that is that I just don't see many times in the Bible where God is really all about our happiness. He's really about us following him and obeying him and his holiness. And he says, I want you to adjust your happiness to me, not me adjust my ways to your happiness. And so we have to be careful. Undertaking work that appeals to fleshly appetites. We should hesitate to undertake any work that when our primary reason for doing it is to relieve pressure rather than practice some principle of faith. Undoubtedly, Abram was feeling the pressure from himself, from Sarai, from the cultural and so uh, cultural expectations. So he just let it go because the pressure was too much. We should never work when our methods are inappropriate to our goals and to our God. It knocks it off the list of things to do when it's inappropriate to our God and to our goals. Now let's look at Hagar. We've got Abram. He's the voice of passivity. Sarai, the voice of presumption. Hagar. Notice when she saw, in verse 4, when she saw that she conceived, her mistress became despised. 
in her eyes. Let's consider lightly. What we have here is the voice of pride. It's the voice of pride. The problem with Hagar, it was the same problem with Sarai. Sarai looked at what she didn't have. She didn't have the gift of a child. And therefore, she thought, you know what? Maybe I'm less. I'm less loved. I'm a less of a woman because I don't have this gift. And so consequently, Hagar, when she has the gift of a child, she says, I'm better than Sarai. I'm more loved. You know what the problem is? The problem is that they were looking at the gift instead of the giver to get their identity. I remember um, in middle school and skateboards were just getting popular again, the, the big wide styles back then. And, and uh, I, you know, I had to get a skateboard and I got my skateboard. And I thought, man, this is great. You know, it's, it's green. It's got this dragon on it. It's like, you know, it looked kind of fearsome, you know, and uh, had all the, all the stuff that was supposed to have. And I went to school and, and told them about my new skateboard. And they were they asked, well, what kind of skateboard? It's like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. Right? So I think it's a Nash or something like that. I said, Nash? You get a Nash skateboard? Oh, those are cheap. I was like, oh. You know, I didn't know that it was a bad skateboard. And so all my other friends told me I had a bad skateboard. And I was just like, I didn't bring it up much anymore, you know? My identity just dropped. Why? Because I got my identity in a skateboard. I had the newest toy. We still have that problem, don't we? That's not just a teenage deal, is it? We all deal with that, do we not? Here's the, here's the issue. We are finding our identity in gifts instead of the giver. And so Hagar, consequently, when she gets something good, she gets all prideful about it. Sarah doesn't get it, and she's, she's all hurt by it. And we need to understand that it's about our relationship with the Lord. I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says, Let not the rich man glory in his riches, nor let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the wise man glory in his wisdom, but let him who glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, thus saith the Lord. You know, that's where it's at. Because might quickly goes away and riches goes away and all these things can go away, but my relationship with the Lord is based on his character and not me. And therefore it's stable. It's something you can count on. Not whether or not I've got a, a child or I've got a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or a wife or I've got a house or a car or I've got the newest clothes or I've got a certain type of pen or watch, a certain type of bag or shoes. It's based on a relationship with the Lord. All these things come and go so quickly. Abram, or Hagar, was the voice of pride. And the problem was that she thought she was something because she got a gift. From the Lord. It's the voice of pride. Now notice. Keep on reading. Verse 6. Abram says to Sarah. Okay you do whatever you want. You know. You say that she was in my hands. Therefore we got this problem. No she's not in my hands. She's in your hands. Do to her as you please. Sarah dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her presence. Let me just make some statement here. Abram and Sarai. Are not the moral examples for us. These characters in the Old Testament are not given to us for moral modeling. Okay? That's what Jesus is for. Jesus is our example to emulate our life by. These characters are given to us to mirror reality. To mirror reality. And isn't it realistic to think that Sarai would deal with a woman like this harshly? I've seen some godly women 
give some cross looks when it came across messing with their man, you know? And so you have Sarai doing something similar, and she's got all the authority to be abusive. Then we come to verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. What's going on? She runs away. Hagar's running away. Her name means flight, and she's being true to her name. She runs away, going toward Egypt. For the first time, we've got mention of the Lord's input. <laughs> That's something to be to noted. He's not been consulted in this deal until we get to verse 7, and he intervenes. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Isn't it interesting how he addresses her? Not just Hagar, the Egyptian. No, Sarai's maid. In other words, you're running away, but you're not running away from the problem. It's still there. And by the way, where are you coming from and where are you going? <laughs> Pregnant Egyptian with no husband around you going to Egypt? Is there any hope there? The answer is no. She said, I'm fleeing for the presence of my mistress, Sarai. It wasn't where she was going. She was trying to get away. Angel Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself un- under her hand. That's a hard word. I mean, I've got to be with this jealous wife as my boss, as my master. Yes. How can I do that? Verse 10. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. In other words, God's going to extend through her to her son the blessings that he also gave to Abram and that there would be a multitude of nations that would come from him. He says, because this child comes from Abram, I will be true to my word in Genesis chapter 12. Though you're prideful, Hagar, I'm true to my word and I will give you the same blessing. Who is this angel of the Lord anyway? I think it's interesting in verse 10 that he says in first person, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. It seems to be that he's speaking for God and that he is perhaps maybe God pre-incarnate saying, I will bless you. And so it is, in fact, that she's having some encounter with the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. That's going to be music to her ears. Remember, they don't have ultrasound back then. God is their ultrasound. She's finding out what sex is, is, uh, the child's going to be. And that his name will be Ishmael, which literally means God hears, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And then he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. <laughs> you are the God who sees. Literally, Elroy. All right? We've been introduced to several different names for God. We've got the, the Elohim as the generic reference to God. Uh, we've got uh, El Elyon, which was just recently, uh, that God is the master of the universe. Uh, we've got Adonai. And now we have El Roy. Literally, you are the God who sees me. How, isn't that a great name to give to God? You are the God who sees me. And then she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? In other words... Am I still alive? I'm having an encounter with God, and yet I still live. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lehe Roy, literally the well of the one who lives and sees me. She got a new revelation of who God is. Listen, you need to know something. I don't know your situation. Some of you are in dire straits, in a difficult situation. I don't know what it could be physically, emotionally, it could be any number of things. 
and your heart is breaking and you're wondering, is there any hope? I'm going to just tell you that you are under the same God who met with Hagar. The God who sees is the God who's in question here. And I'm just going to tell you that God can be El Roy in your life. The God who sees. He knows what you're dealing with and he is aware. And he wants you just to hold on and trust in him who sees. And so we find Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram named his son Ishmael. How did he know that? He had to get word of instruction from Hagar. In fact, we find in this chapter that, that you know, Hagar is the only one that's spoken to. Abram's not spoken to. Sarai's not spoken to. In fact, as if we follow the chronology of the Bible, it's not till 13 more years that they hear a word from the Lord concerning their son to be. In fact, uh, there's nothing there that's given. Why is that? Maybe it has something to do with the, the presumption attitude, presumptuous attitude of Sarah and Abram. The lack of leading for Abram. Maybe it has something to do with that. But why is it this Hagar gets it? Why this prideful woman? Why does she get this? After all, she's abusive to Abram's wife, and Abram's wife is abusive of her. Why her? Here's the reason why. Simply, because Genesis chapter 12, God gave a promise that he would bless the descendants of Abram, and he was going to be true to his word. You see, the angel of the Lord is the voice of promise. The whole reason he was speaking to her was to give her the promises of God. The reason why is because he had already made a promise and he was just restating them now to Ishmael. Now the Quran has the story a little bit differently. And uh, Ishmael and Isaac trade places in their Quran uh, because they follow Ishmael. But you know, what we find here is that God was merciful in giving these promises all because of the promise he made to Abram. Let me tell you something. God's made promises to you. He's made promises such that as when Jesus was here, he said, you know what? If you will receive me, you will become sons and daughters of God. He said, where I am, there you will be also referring to a heavenly place. Later on, we find there's other promises like whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said in John 5, 24, He that hath my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. A promise of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. Let me tell you something. These are the promises of God. And if you were to say to God, God, I recognize I've got pride in my life. I've got sin in my life. I fit that bill. I need to be forgiven. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I do believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again. I believe there was punishment that has to be made for my sin and that Jesus did it. And I want to make him my king. I want to make him my treasure. Friends, I'm going to tell you, there is a God who sees and he will extend his promises to you. He can be the voice of promise to you. The question is, will you be like Hagar and be one who is needy and desperate to hear a word from the Lord? Only God knows your heart. 
Are you desperate to hear a word from the Lord? Have the promises of God in your life? I invite you this morning. Just simply pray, God, forgive me. I know I need your forgiveness. I know I've sinned in my life. I believe you died for me and rose again. I want to make you my king. I want to help you in that prayer. Because that's the kind of prayer that God is waiting to hear. He will meet you there. He is the God who sees.